When last we met, uh, we were talking about the coming of Jesus to earth, and we talked about four reasons that Jesus became a human. Uh, number one, because the Father had sent him. Number two, because Jesus came to save us from our sins. Uh, thirdly, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And then last, Jesus came to save the earth, reversing the curse, uh, setting things right. Malachi, could you turn this mic down just a little bit? I'm hearing a little bit of a rain. Uh, so the red line there. <clears throat> so that was all answering the question, why did Jesus come? Uh, why did God leave heaven and become a human? Today we're going to talk about how he came. And so our subject this morning is the incarnation of Christ. Uh, incarnation. Anybody think of a, a Spanish word that sounds like incarnation? Especially the carne part. Oh, meat. Carne asada, right? Steak. Uh, so carne means meat or flesh. Uh, incarnation. When we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus, we mean God taking on flesh. God becoming a human being. And so God, who is a spirit, became incarnate. He became human. In our statement of faith, uh, the section that we're going to be covering this morning says, Jesus became human through the virgin birth while simultaneously keeping all his divine essence. Jesus is the perfect, sinless God-man. So that is uh, all of what we're going to be talking about today. First of all, we're going to begin with John chapter 1 and verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're not going to go back over that because we did already, but you understand throughout the rest of that passage that the Word is uh, talking about Jesus. Jesus is distinct from the Father, so it can say he's with God, and yet he also is God. Uh, same chapter, verse 14, we're told, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the eternal Word, God the Son, he took on flesh. He became human. He lived on earth among us. And that's what we mean by incarnation. Now, the way in which God became human is through the virgin birth. And while some scoff at the notion of uh, somebody giving birth as a virgin, uh, to me it's always made perfect sense that if God's going to become a human, he's going to do it in a way that's totally unlike any other human. Um, so, I, uh, To me, there's just no problem there. But uh, there is no other way to read the, the text in Scripture about the birth of Christ. First of all, we see the uh, prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, we see the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, where it says the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the reason uh, that the virgin birth is an essential Christian doctrine, uh, maybe you've wondered about that before. Why do Christians make such a big deal about the virgin birth? Why does it really matter that much? 
The reason is the virgin birth is the foundation for the deity of Christ. You see there in that last verse, the virgin is going to conceive, bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this is why uh, the virgin birth of Christ is in our statement of faith and why it is one of the essential fundamentals of Christianity. You must believe that Jesus was virgin born. Otherwise, Jesus is just a human like everybody else, and he's not really God. Uh, Luke chapter 1, this is the other passage on the birth of Christ. Uh, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary in verse 30, and he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And again, you see there uh, explicitly why the virgin birth matters. It's important because of the last line. And notice the therefore. So because of this, because a virgin is going to give birth by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, therefore you will know that this is the Son of God. So because he's going to come into the world uh, through a virgin, the child will be understood to be the Holy Son of God. Um, so virgin birth, obviously essential Christian doctrine. It's clear in Scripture. If you read those texts, you can't get away from the fact that Jesus was obviously born of a virgin, and that is the foundation of his deity. Um, now that's how Jesus was born. Let's talk about the humanity of Jesus. We believe that Jesus was really a human. Uh, he's also divine. He's God. But when he became a human, he became a real human. He didn't just look like a human. He was a human. And again, our statement of faith says Jesus became human through the virgin birth while simultaneously keeping all of his divine essence. So there you see uh, truly human, truly God, as the creeds say. Jesus is the perfect, sinless God-man. Uh, Philippians 2 explains in verse 5, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped uh, or held on to. Verse 7, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Uh, emptied himself there does not mean he emptied himself of his deity. If he emptied himself of his deity, he wouldn't be the same person anymore. So Jesus did not cease to be God, but he did lay aside some of the privileges of deity when he took on human flesh. We're going to talk about some of that in a few minutes. Uh, questions of the omniscience of God. Well, did Jesus know everything? Uh, and spoiler alert, I think the answer is no. That Jesus, while on earth, he was not omniscient. We'll get to some of those texts in a minute. But I think he laid aside some of those divine prerogatives when he took on human flesh. Uh, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So those verses clearly say Jesus became a human. Uh, we're going to look at 10 aspects of Jesus' humanity just quickly here. Number one, he possessed flesh and blood. And all of these are just going to be emphasizing the fact that Jesus was really a human being, a real human person. Uh, he wasn't just some, uh, you know, deity that sort of took on an appearance of a human. No, he was born, he grew, he was just like a normal human being. Verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, number 1, he possessed flesh and blood. And again, we'll back to John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
he actually became flesh. He became a real human. Number two, Jesus looks like a normal man. Uh, John 6, verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? In other words, nobody looking at Jesus. He didn't have some aura about him. Uh, he looked like a normal person. And so when, they, when he made claims like, I came from heaven, they were like, what are you talking about? We know your parents. We watched you grow up. These are the people in Nazareth. Uh, and so they looked at this and, and were laughing at the fact that Jesus was claiming to be from heaven. And so he wasn't walking around with a halo above him or anything like that. He was a normal human being. I know some, you know, some movie portrayals of Jesus, right? They, they make him out like he had this deep, soothing voice that just carried through. No, he was a normal guy. Okay, he, he didn't have any sort of supernatural appearance like that. Uh, he was just a normal-looking guy. Obviously, he wasn't a normal human, but in appearance, in other words, my point is nobody looking at him would have thought that he's anything but a human being. Malachi, go ahead. He didn't have long California hair. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So, anyways, it's just, it's always funny to me when you're watching any sort of portrayal of Jesus he always looks totally different than everybody else, right? You could pick him out in a crowd right away. And uh, I, I just don't think it's accurate. Number three, uh, Jesus grew. Uh, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. We're going to talk about the wisdom thing later, but right now notice stature. He grew in stature. This is talking about him as a child. He grew. You know, Jesus was a baby just like any other baby. Uh, Jesus, I don't want to be sacrilegious in saying this, but Jesus pooped his diapers. He was a normal kid. Okay, <laughs> He grew up uh, just like any other child. So number, uh, number four, Jesus became hungry. Again, emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. I was, telling, I was telling my wife on the way here, I think of that verse when I walk into Speedway and there's no pizza. Uh, anyways, but Jesus was hungry. He comes to this fig tree and he's upset because there's no fruit on there. Um, but just emphasizing again the fact that Jesus was dependent upon food, uh, just like a normal human being. He needed food in order to survive. Verse 6, Jesus became physically exhausted at times. Uh, John 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. This is in Samaria. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And this is where he asked the woman to get him a drink. And so he became exhausted on this trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem, uh, just like any other human being would become physically exhausted. Number seven, this is kind of a continuation of that same thought. Jesus needed sleep. Luke 8, verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his, his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. When storm came up down in the lake, they were filling with water, were in danger. Of course, you know the rest of the story that they wake him up. Um, but just notice, Jesus slept. He needed physical sleep just like any other human being. Number eight, Jesus suffered. Uh, Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Uh, these are all kind of the same idea here. Number nine, he bled. Again, emphasizing that he was real flesh and blood, real human. Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So Jesus bled 
Number 10, and this is probably the, if you just want a clear indication that Jesus was a real human, number 10, he died. Okay, God cannot die, but Jesus did. John 19, verse 32, the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So Jesus died. God is a spirit. A spirit can't die. Jesus was not a sp just a spirit any longer. He became a real human being. Um, 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when we think of Jesus, he is a real man. And by the way, I think he continues to be a human. I don't think he... Uh, now, he obviously has a glorified body now. We see even some of that toward the end of the Gospels, right, where he's walking through walls and entering rooms that are locked and doing different things that he didn't do before. Uh, but I do believe he still has a physical human body in some sense. Okay, so Jesus was a real man. Now let's talk about some of the um, questions that come up about this, right? Jesus was God. He became a man, and he set aside some of those divine prerogatives. Now, where do you draw the line there? Uh, that's tricky to figure out. But while still having the full essence of God, Jesus did enter into some of the limitations of what it means to be a human being. Okay, for example, God is omnipresent, right? God exists everywhere. He permeates the universe. When Jesus took on a human body, he obviously was taking on spatial limitations, right? Jesus wasn't omnipresent while he's got a body on earth. He's in one place at a time. Uh, and so that would be an, an example of a, a human physical limitation that God took on when he became a human. Uh, some have tried to get around this by coming up with this idea that Jesus was simultaneously in heaven and on earth. Uh, I see no defense of that in Scripture, nor do I think that makes any sense. I think when Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, he actually was here. Uh, Jesus says, for instance, I left heaven and I came to earth. That's good enough for me. So I, I think God becoming a human means that he took on some of the limitations that humans experience. For example, number 11 uh, in this, he increased in wisdom. Luke 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus did not come out of the womb speaking like an adult. <laughs> okay, he was a baby. Uh, he had to learn his ABCs or his, I guess, Aleph Bet Gimels, right, because it's Hebrew. Uh, but he had, to, he had to learn and grow and go to school just like any other child. Number 12, Jesus was limited in knowledge. Okay, again, God is omniscient, but Jesus, while on earth, took on the limitations of a human. Therefore, he had limited knowledge while a human. Mark 13, verse 32. Jesus says, concerning that day or hour, talking about when he returns, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay, so apparently there were some things that Jesus did not know. Uh, number 13, Jesus was tempted. Matthew 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, the reason this is proof of Jesus' humanity and limitations there is because of what James says in James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So God can't be tempted with evil, but we know Jesus was tempted. Okay, Again, this is emphasizing that Jesus, when he became a human, he took on limitations that God did not have. Um, 
Jesus, uh, we're going to get into the temptation of Jesus next. Are there any questions at this point? This is a decent stopping point for questions. Catherine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a very good point. That when um, when Judas Iscariot was basically marking out Jesus among the other apostles, saying, "This is the guy that you want to arrest," he gave him a kiss. Well, if Jesus had some aura about him, or he had a different garment than everybody else in the movie, right? Because that's what they always do. He's got the long white thing. Okay, he looked just like everybody else, and that's why he had to had to mark him out. That's a good point. All right. Um, so Jesus was tempted to sin. Jesus took on our human weakness, and he endured temptation, and he had to do this. Uh, in order to make atonement on behalf of humans, God had to himself become a human. He had to live a human life and die as humans die. Uh, the author of Hebrews explains in chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So in order to save humankind, he had to become a real human. He had to be like humanity in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus was a human. He was like his brothers in every respect. It wasn't that Jesus just appeared to be human. He really was. He entered our weakness, our limitations, and even our temptations. Now, there is one way in which Hebrews uh, later explains that Jesus was actually unique. One, one way in which he was unlike other humans. Okay, Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our, our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that would be the one difference between every other human and Jesus, is that Jesus never sinned. He experienced the temptations that we do, but Jesus never gave in to them. Now, I, I don't take this to mean that Jesus had every uh, specific temptation that you've ever experienced. I don't think that's the point. I think it means that he just experienced temptation just like any other human. Uh, nevertheless, Jesus never one time gave in to temptation to sin. Uh, some have tried to say that because Jesus had no sin nature, that sin wasn't really tempting to him. Um, but to say that is to deny what the Bible clearly says. Jesus, when he was fasting in the wilderness, Matthew says he was very hungry. Jesus comes along, or I'm sorry, Satan comes along and tempts him to uh, turn the stone into bread. Are you telling me that that wasn't a real temptation? Of course it was. He was very hungry. Uh, Jesus, and, and also the sin nature argument, you know, what do you do with Adam and Eve? They didn't have a sin nature and they still gave in to temptation. So I don't think that that means much. Um, but Jesus was truly tempted. His temptations were real. And in a sense, he was tempted more than any of us. Uh, because you and I, when, when a temptation to sin becomes too strong, we give in. Jesus never gave in. So he felt the full weight of every single temptation throughout his life. 
He had to endure the temptation and continually resist, never yielding to it. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus was tempted to sin? Well, verse 16 of Hebrews goes on to say, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He, speaking of Jesus, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. He deals gently with us because he himself has experienced temptation to sin. He never sinned, he never gave into it, but he understands the temptation. Uh, let's look at a few verses here closing on the sinlessness of Jesus. Number one, Jesus knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus knew no sin. Number two, Jesus committed no sin. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Number three, there was no sin in Jesus. These are all different ways of saying the same thing. 1 John 3.5 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So those are some clear statements from the apostles about the sinlessness of Jesus. Uh, now we're going to look at a few people who were not followers of Jesus. Okay, so maybe you say, well, the apostles, they were subjective. Okay, let's look at some people that uh, were not on Jesus' side, so to speak, and yet they still attested to his sinlessness. Number one, uh, Pilate, John 19, verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, saying to the crowd, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Uh, number two, Pilate's wife. Matthew 27, verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent, him, sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, talking about Jesus, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Uh, kind of an interesting little side note in the Gospels there. You should study it out sometime. Number three, Judas Iscariot attested to the sinlessness of Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, to that, uh, they said what is that to us? See to it yourself. Number four. Uh, the thief on the cross attested to Jesus' sinlessness. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So he's mocking him. Verse 40. The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then finally, number five, the Roman centurion. Uh, Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
So there you have five different people in the uh, Gospels that had no, no connection to Jesus. They weren't followers of Jesus. One of them even betrayed him to be killed. And yet all of them testify that he was innocent, he was guiltless, he was sinless. And so back to our statement of faith, Jesus became human through the virgin birth while simultaneously keeping all his divine essence. Jesus is the perfect, sinless God-man. Jesus is the eternal God who through the virgin birth became human. He was human in every way. He experienced the weaknesses, uh, limitations, and temptations of humanity, yet he never sinned. We'll talk more about why that matters uh, for you and I in our salvation uh, next Sunday. Are there any questions? We've got a few minutes here for questions. I actually did okay on time today. Catherine, did you remember your question or no? Okay. Okay. So where, where in Scripture do we get the idea he looked like other humans? That, that was a good one. That he wasn't distinct in any way. Right. Right. Well, he was very famous. He was very popular in Israel, for sure. Yes. I mean, when you're going around raising people from the dead and stuff, yeah, he was very popular. But uh, he did not look anything other than a normal human being from, from everything I can see in scripture. Um, and there, there are other instances, other things that I thought of before, but I, I didn't write any of them down as far as uh, how, I mean, the one that I brought up was in John six, right? Where Jesus says, I came down from heaven and they're like, you're just a human, just like us. So it's not like he had some aura about him. Uh, Malachi. There's no beauty that, yeah, that could be interpreted a few different ways, but yes, that I, I would agree with that. Um, I think it's Isaiah 53 that talks about, let's see, uh, let's see. Uh, there's no beauty that we should desire in him. He has no form nor comeliness, and there is no beauty that we should desire in him, meaning he, he looked like a normal. Is that the verse you're referring to? Um, he didn't stand out from others in terms of his appearance. So, Right, he didn't look like Absalom. <laughs> Or Saul, right, head and shoulders above the rest. So, and I, I, I don't mean to pick on Christian movies. Obviously, they have to kind of show you who he is and pick him out in the crowd. But sometimes we just get that idea in our mind that Jesus walked around with this pure white robe with no stain in it, and everybody else looked raggedy. And it's just, anyways. Any other questions on this? Okay, um, books. So I got an email from Crossway probably four or five months ago, and. Uh, and it said that I could get for our church uh, free copies of this book. And I thought, what's the catch? How much is shipping going to cost? I scrolled down. Free shipping. What in the world? So it costs us nothing. And they sent us a whole box of this book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, this is probably, this is like the number one best-selling Christian book right now. This year it's kind of exploded. And uh, I read it. It's very good. And it's, uh, there's several copies on the back table. I think there's a box of 50 back there. So if you have any interest, please take one. Um, again, thanks to Crossway, I don't, they just decided to pay for this and, and send it to us for free. So you've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very popular book right now. It's really the main, the big selling Christian book this year, um, by Dane Orland. It's on the heart of Jesus. Um, and I don't know, that's probably all I want to tell you about it. Just read it. It's interesting. It really, uh, dives into how scripture portrays the way Jesus thinks and feels and his relations to us. Uh, very kind of a devotional read. This would be something that would be good to just kind of read a chapter a day of. Um, I think that would be very good. 
Uh, you could read it before bed or when you first wake up or something like that. The chapters aren't long. It's easy reading. And uh, again, very devotional style. So I recommend that to you. And again, thanks to Crossway for sending that to us for free. And it, they did it again with a, a book on church uh, that I'm going to be getting in a few months. Um, they're sending us 20 copies, no shipping, just free. I'm like, great, <laughs> sign me up. So hopefully we'll keep getting emails like this. I love this. Uh, but anyway, let's pray.